historically, there's been this idea that it somehow is called an Adam's apple because maybe Adam ate this apple and it got lodged in his throat. Why is it that a person who practices medicine is called a physician? Coming up on Word Matters, the puzzling name of the human laryngeal protuberance and the history of physician. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Neil Servan, Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. Welcome to Anatomy and Physiology Week on Word Matters. First up, the Adam's apple. It is neither an apple, nor is it the possession only of people named Adam. How did this anatomical feature get its name? I'll take a look at this one. There's a term for an anatomical element. A laryngeal protuberance is maybe a more technical way of phrasing it. And that term is Adam's apple. Have you all ever wondered about the term Adam's apple? Yeah. I have to say I don't know anything about it. <laughs> about the name, that is. Are you familiar with any etymologies, any no. sense of it, where Adam's apple comes from? I mean, it has from? this biblical resonance, obviously. Yes, yes, it does. In the story of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were living there very happily. There was a tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God told them, you can eat anything in this whole garden, but don't eat what grows on this tree. And then a serpent came and tempted Eve, said, you know, you really should try. And so she did. And then she got Adam to try. And then, you know, everything has been terrible ever since. So it's technically in the Bible, it's described as a fruit, generally, but in art going back hundreds and hundreds of years and in kind of a, a more general sense of the term, it's often as described as an apple, that the fruit that they ate of, the fruit mm -hmm. that grew on the tree of knowledge of good and evil was an apple. And so Adam's apple has historically, there's been this idea that it somehow is called an Adam's apple because maybe Adam ate this apple and it got lodged in his throat because uh -huh. it was this terrible sin. It was this crime against God to eat this fruit and it got stuck there. So that is an idea that people have had going back as far as the early 18th century, that this is really the origin of the term Adam's apple, but it has nothing to do with that at all. Oh. Yeah, which I think is very interesting. Really? Yes. The term Adam's apple, long before it referred to the laryngeal protuberance, was used as a term to refer to any number of different kinds of fruits. The term apple was used really broadly before the infusion of French onto the English language, the imposition of so many French words onto the English language after the Norman invasion. The word apple was used as a general term for referring to any fruit. Then, because of French, right. we got the word fruit. And so apple became specialized as being a particular kind of fruit. Although apple also applied very broadly in a number of different languages. But before an Adam's apple was the laryngeal protuberance, it also referred to plantains, citrons, pomelos. And the idea of them being Adam's apples was that they were treasured. They were really special. They were fruit as if it had come from the Garden of Eden. These are fruits that are so wonderful that Adam may have eaten them before the fall. Oh, so it's a different use of the genitive. It's Adam's apple that he has been holding on for a special occasion and won't give you any, no matter how much you ask, rather than Adam's apple that he swallowed and choked on. Right. This is the Adam's apple that he lost for all the rest of us, oh, I guess. Okay. Right, right. There's a Latin translation that is applied in other European languages, pomam adam, mm -hmm. podam adami, for various fruits, including, and this is key, the pomegranate. 
Oh, right. The pomegranate. And the reason this is key is that in the medieval times, before we had the word Adam's apple for referring to the laryngeal protuberance, there were Arab medical writers who were giving names to various anatomy by way of analogy, and they settled on pomegranate for the reference to the Adam's apple. They called this laryngeal protuberance a pomegranate. And we don't know why these Arab medieval writers used that as an analogy. Did it have to do with the texture? Or did it have to do with the kind of significance of the pomegranate in lore? It's a very evocative fruit in a number of different literary... Sure, mythology. Yeah, mythology, yeah, right. Persephone, right? Right, right. Poor Persephone. Seeds. Yes, or yes. The Hesperides, the golden apples. And also the prophet Muhammad reportedly recommended eating pomegranates. So we don't know why, but these Arab medieval writers chose the word pomegranate to refer to the laryngeal protuberance, which then English writers translated not as pomegranate, but they translated it as Adam's apple, because pomegranate was also called Adam's apple. I know the French word palm is apple, right? And so you see apple kind of invoked in the names of these other fruits in different languages or vegetables or what do you call them? Palm de terre is what they call a potato in France. It's a, literally an apple of the earth. I've heard a tomato called a love apple sometimes. Oh, right. you know, yep. it, sure. it's, I think somehow in the name pineapple, apple fact is in there somehow and in its name, obviously, but it's not really related to the apple, I don't think, in any way. So you can kind of see these other areas where apple is like the go-to name for the fruit. And then these other fruits or vegetables are sort of based off of the idea of the apple. So apple just kind of like serves as a general name for fruit in some way. But the Adam's apple has more to do with the pineapple than it has to do with the Garden of Eden. Mm Mm-hmm. The internet will tell you differently. Like that story about it being a bit of the Edenic apple lodged in all you poor boys' throats. That's out there as as a myth still being repeated to this day. Sort of a folk etymology. Yeah. I remember playing the game Operation as a kid, and the Adam's (laughs) apple was one of the things you had to remove, and the little piece was in the guy's throat, and it was shaped like an apple, I think with a bite taken out of it. Well, that was one of the more difficult pieces to get out, right? It was. It was a very, very difficult one. That and the wishbone. It would make more sense in the story if it were Eve's apple, right? But it's not. Does Eve have any fruit? Because I know that sometimes we also list Adam's fig as another term for the plantain, and there are some other Adam's fruits that we come across. But does Eve have any fruits? No. Boy, talk about getting shortchanged. For sure. Well, we know there were figs in the garden because they had to use the leaves, right, right to cover themselves. You're listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. We'll explore the origins of physician after the break. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Bite. I'm Neil Servan. 
Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for the Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org. Behold the words physician and physicist. One refers to someone who practices medicine, and one refers to someone who thinks professionally about matter and energy. Why all those letters in common? And where does the word doctor fit in? Here's Peter Sokolowski with the story behind physician and physicist. We in the dictionary trade tend to concentrate more on new words coming into the language than those words that are sort of quietly leaving the language. And this makes perfect sense. We're sort of attracted to what's new. But sometimes the relics of these older words sort of hiding in plain sight can tell us a story about how English has evolved. And so a case in point is if you take categories, a scientist studies science, a dentist applies dentistry, a plumber works with plumbing. But why is it that a person who practices medicine is called a physician? And that's a sort of interesting question that gets back into kind of early modern science, but also the shifts in English that happened at that time. It goes back to the fact that in the early modern period or the late medieval period, the word physic was used to mean the practice of healing disease. And it was also used for the word medicine, essentially, a remedy for disease. So physic, and we actually see that sometimes in Shakespeare, for example, a physic is actually a medicine or a dose of medicine. And this is all kind of pre-modern ideals, of course, and ideas of what medicine was. In Shakespeare's day, the word physic meant medicine, and physician was used as we do occasionally as in one who practices medicine. But for example, Hamlet says, this physic but prolongs thy sickly days. So physic meaning medicine. And it's an interesting point to see that physician and physic was sometimes used as like a personification. So there's the uh, Thomas Nash poem called The Litany in Time of Plague, which has a kind of resonance to us today. And it goes, rich men trust not in wealth, gold cannot buy you health. Physic himself must fade, all things to end are made. The plague full swift goes by, I am sick, I must die. An amazing piece. Thomas Nash has resonance in every age. We can always trust Nash to somehow be relevant. Where does physics come in? Well, exactly. It comes in a little bit later. So the term medicine first was a synonym for that remedy use of physic. And the two words coexisted for centuries. And it wasn't until the 18th century that we get this idea of physics in the modern sense of the science. We see in Nathan Bailey's dictionary, a famous dictionary from 1725, and this was the dictionary, among other things, that was maybe the biggest, most comprehensive dictionary before Samuel Johnson's and a really well-known dictionary. His entry for physic included this little note that said, in a more limited and improper sense, it is applied to the science of medicine. You have this sort of judgy, improper usage note from Bailey, which shows you in the 18th century, as we're moving into the sort of scientific modern period, that physic no longer meant medicine or was stigmatized in some ways. But what happened at that time? What we saw in the 18th century was the sort of moment of scientific and cultural and linguistic change. This is when chemistry separated from alchemy and when astrology separated from astronomy. And this is when the word biology was coined. It actually came about in the 1700s. 
And physics, in that modern sense, became restricted to the study of matter and energy rather than medicine or living things. And it's interesting that even in Webster's Dictionary, 1828, he defines physic as the art of healing diseases and then has a note, this is now generally called medicine. So we can actually watch in the record, that is to say in the older dictionaries, a word fading away. And what you got next was this distinction between a physician and a physicist. Because physician was associated with physic, physicist was coined to be associated with physics. This is one we were getting away from when the idea of medicine was associated with the bodily humors. Exactly. With melancholia and black bile and yellow bile. We're getting into the fact that more was known about the body at the time. We were able to research more about the body. I believe ability to apply new studies to the science meant we kind of got away from the idea of just having these humors inside us that kind of determined whether we were healthy or what our moods were. And just think about the way that we conceive of alchemy and astrology which is to say, like the humors, kind of pre-modern ideas of science or, or pseudoscience by today's standards. If we go back and just think about the terminology that was at play here, it's interesting to look at the word doctor, because the word doctor, by the end of the 14th century, it was being used to refer, as it is now, to qualified academics and also to medical practitioners. But at the very beginning of the 14th century, it was very specifically only about eminent theologians, and especially ones who had a special seal of approval from the Roman Catholic Church. These were trained and approved theologians who could talk about and explain church doctrine to people. So a learned person. That's right. And the source of the word is Latin for teacher, docere, meaning to teach. And so doctor comes from doctrine and has nothing to do specifically with medicine. That's right. And the first doctors were not medical doctors. Right. And doctrine has to do with laws and texts. Doctor today, we generally associate with medical doctors, even though what had been the sort of learned person model, we would call a professor now. Well, and people are criticized sometimes for describing themselves as doctors if they're not medical doctors. Oh, right. Right? Like that's disapproved in some settings. Although it does make sense if you're saying, is there a doctor in the house? That it not be a doctor of linguistics, for example. Who needs natural language processing? (laughs) Quick. (laughs) There's another word, which is surgeon. And what's interesting is that there was a distinction made between sort of the internal medicine and the very mechanical function of a surgeon. Surgery was kind of looked down upon by the medical people. By everyone who had it. Uh, Yeah, right. And surgeons were, of course, initially barbers. They were the same person. Barbers cut hair and removed appendixes. Is this what you're saying? Or tumors or something. Yes. You go in for a tumor, you get your tumor removed, and meanwhile, a little (laughs) off the top and, um, you know, a little, maybe a little dye job or something. But, of course, we're talking about, in the pre-modern era, a really savage time of pain and disease. And so really, really talking about removing of limbs. It was pretty brutal. Well, that's why the barber's pole is red and white striped. The red represents the blood that would be dripping down the, the man's arm, I believe. But at the very least, it does represent the blood that was drawn in the surgery in the process of his job, which is sort of a callback to a pre-modern kind of medicine and very brutal. But that's what the red and white barber's pole refers to. But so surgery, because it was external medicine, because it went from the humors to the more modern ideas of what causes disease, surgery was always considered kind of just a mechanical operation, and they were looked down upon initially, and not even as professionals. They had an apprenticeship rather than an education. Today, we look at surgeons as among the most specialized of medical practitioners. So that's changed quite a lot. And the Oxford English Dictionary has an entry for barber surgeon. 
And certainly during military campaigns, think of the Revolutionary War, the Napoleonic Wars, the Civil War. This is the kind of expertise you might have expected, which is, again, a little bit alarming in today's context. I'm finding myself really curious about that poll. Was that a source of advertising? I assume it was meant the same way as like a Red Cross or something. Like if you needed something in an emergency, maybe you wanted to be able to find them when you got into town and be able to identify them quickly. That's right. In town, you'd have your little sign outside of the door that in a pre-literate society, you know, a bootmaker would have a boot or something, or a farrier would have a horseshoe. There would be symbols of their professions on the outside of their businesses. And this was the barber's sign. When you're in town and you want to get your shoes cobbled and you just run it over, two doors over and get your gallbladder removed. <laughs> and then by the time that's done, your shoes are done and you can head on home. Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us on Apple Podcasts or send us an email at wordmatters at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by John Vosey and Adam Maid. For Neil Servan, Amon Shea, and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is a production of Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.